Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz, and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Andrew Rybczynski returning. Andrew was a guest on episode 73 about six months ago, where he spoke about multifamily investing outlook, and he's back to do the same. Uh, A little bit about Andrew. He's a managing consultant at CoStar Advisory Services, where he makes recommendations on investment, commercial real estate, and writes on the multifamily property type and has been published in the Journal of Portfolio Management. His work is often referenced in national media outlets such as WMRE, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. Welcome, Andrew. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, Yeah, so... uh... I've been with CoStar for nine years now. Uh, the job that, that I do, the, the, uh, the group that I'm with, uh, mostly focuses on advising institutional investors. Uh, I myself tend to focus on multifamily. Uh, and uh, we do a lot of data crunching. CoStar, of course, is the largest uh, owner of commercial real estate data, uh, certainly in the U.S., most likely the world. And um, we, uh, we have full access to that data and we're able to gain a lot of insight by uh, doing some number crunching on the back end there. Um, and to that end, uh, some of this information that uh, will be discussed today uh, may be by its nature, um, be my personal or subjective opinion and not necessarily reflect the views of CoStar Group. Uh, any forward-looking statements are believed to be based on reasonable assumptions, uh, but are subject to change and not necessarily comprehensive given the format. Uh, most importantly, nothing said during the podcast should be construed as investment, tax, accounting, or legal advice, uh, or as a promotion of the advisability of any particular investment. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Um, um, obviously, you know we've used CoStar many times for data, and we we love data. So uh, it really um, uh, lets us make much better decisions. So let's let's jump in. So I know you've got uh, the Q1 data is out. Uh, obviously, things have changed quite a bit since the last quarter. Uh, any surprises in the report? Nothing surprising. If I think if you were if if you were paying attention, I think a lot of your your listeners were paying attention. Um, but we had the we had that huge demand year in um, in twenty twenty one that just blew everything out of the water, percentage wise, uh, raw raw demand wise, um, and of course Q one uh, this year is is coming back to normal and actually a little bit below normal. Uh, so it's it was it was yeah. Uh, if we look back historically, it was actually a pretty weak quarter. Um, I, I do think that a lot of demand got moved forward um, during 2021 because of things like 
uh, stimulus spending uh, because of uh, kind of a little bit of a freeze up in the in the housing market, um, and not least of all because evictions got paused. Mo- well, most places most of the year, and uh, continue to be paused in in some places. Uh, so all of that kind of helped boost demand. Of course, brought us down to record low vacancies, and uh, and gave us that incredible rent growth last year. But Going forward, uh, we should expect a little bit more normal demand and even a little bit below normal, um, just because, again, we, we drag some of that forward and the de- demographics are weakening a little bit. Yeah, I remember, you know, waiting for NHMC to happen and, you know, brokers were, were bringing out all these deals, bringing out all these deals, and that never happened. You know, there was there was talk of it. And um, I mean, we've been very active as an organization, but um, yeah, there just hasn't been the amount of... Um, inventory out there that you know we we were expecting um uh so that that was surprising uh for me uh when you say uh inventory you mean available for sale yeah 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 Yeah. okay um yeah it wouldn't it doesn't surprise uh, you know the transaction market i think is still moving pretty well and on a volume basis um but uh perhaps a number of sales um you're you're seeing a little bit of a dip um the uh (laughs) of course the Volume is a little bit, um, uh, a, a little bit counterintuitive, perhaps, uh, because uh, cap rates have dipped so low. Of course, that uh, less units moving can mean a lot, high, a lot higher volume. And uh, we've actually seen uh, we've seen cap rates dip quite low in, in some of the growth markets that used to be associated with higher cap rates, uh, to the point now where we're measuring um, several core markets above. The uh, above the transactional cap rate average uh, for 2021. So the uh, you know the secret's out about those growth markets, and, and folks have really <laughs> folks have moved in there, and they are now uh, they are now paying for growth in a way that they didn't necessarily have to four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we've been active in in Phoenix and Tucson, and Phoenix, it's it's just astounding. You know the 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 competitiveness for for deals and you know the you know the the broker will come in with a whisper and it just the whisper gets just blown out of the water when everything is said and done um so it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out but yeah they're counting on you know that this tremendous rent growth um still happening and you know I, it'll it, you know who knows what what it will look like in you know 6 months oh. 12 months yeah, I mean, we are starting to see rent growth weakening a little bit. Um, it depends on where you look exactly, uh, certainly market by market, and then uh, within markets. So uh, suburban rent growth is actually it's pretty much on track with where it was last year um, at this time, whereas prime urban rent growth has started weakening a little bit. Um, and that's uh, that's there's a few reasons why we would have expected that. Um, certainly, I've been saying suburban for several years now. Um, but uh, a key one um, is just demographics, as I say, the, the demographic story for pure renters is weakening, is weakening a little bit. Um, but as they get older, uh, we do think that uh, they're going to tend to move to the suburbs um, a little bit more, um, chasing, chasing, frankly, schools. Um, uh, so that demographic tailwind is in effect. Um, the idea of a commuter uh, being willing to commute longer, less often, I think it's going to be in effect as remote working does become more normal, not necessarily the norm, but uh, uh, more prevalent, certainly. Uh, and then 
there's there's also the supply story. Uh, supply has been coming in heavy in prime urban areas for a decade and a half now, uh, where it's it's been pretty weak in in the suburban areas, and the fundamentals are just better out there. So uh, that of course helps drive that that rent growth. So, I mean, obviously, you just talked about the the move to suburban. What are, are there other concerns that you have for multifamily investing as a whole, short or long term, or um, more of um, location wise? Yeah. So, I do want to circle back to cap rates because you know you, you, you sort of talked about that. But um, looking at the demographic picture, uh, as I say, the your main your traditional main cohort of 20 to 34 year olds uh, ha- is is projected to start actually shrinking in, in 2023 or 20, mid 2024, perhaps um, shortly. Anyway, uh, the the kind of uh, not so secret secret, though, is that uh, over, over the past 10, 15 years, a lot of the renter growth has actually been driven by by much older cohorts, um, say 55 or even 65 plus. Um, and that's really, that was just a population story. It's not to say that they were more likely to rent, um, but there were just a lot, lot more of them. Um, and that growth is starting to peter out as well. Um, so there's there's still strong growth in the 85 plus segment, but that's more a healthcare story than it is, uh, than it is a multifamily story. Uh, so that, pit, you know, the, the boomers are sometimes referred to as the pig in the python. That pig in the python is, it's it's kind of it's kind of done at this point, um, and so the as I say the demographic story weakens a little bit. Now there are counter stories to that. For instance, um, uh, basically later uh, later markers of adulthood for young people. We know that the age at first marriage and the age at first birth and the number of births um, are all pointing towards longer renting. Um, Twenty years down the line, that could come back to bite us but uh for the time being it's it's a bit of a positive uh but that raw demographic number um is no longer quite the quite the growth story that that it used to be um now that's uh now you mentioned location as well though uh there are big differences locationally of course uh the the sun belt and, and the and the south i we we expect to continue to grow pretty well not as fast as they used to but or not as fast as they were but um still better on a relative basis. And that's, uh, that again, comes back to that, that cap rate differential that I mentioned. Yeah. It's um, when you're investing in, in some states, some belt states, it's just, you're just riding a wave of, you know, of, of, uh, of population growth. And, and you, there's, you know, when you, when we walk comps and there's, there's just no vacancy anywhere, you know, there's mm-hmm. such a demand. Um it, it makes it really, it makes us look really smart as operators. You know, <laughs> we could take yeah. a punch and uh, it's, it's, it makes, it makes our lives easier. Um, but there, I mean, there, there's opportunity everywhere, depending upon how you buy and whatnot, but I'm sure our, our investment philosophy is usually in the Sunbelt States and, and, and riding that way. You know, we'll pay, we'll pay a premium to be there. Um, but we'll also, uh, extract a premium when we sell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like you said, you know, it makes you look smart. Well, I would argue if you were, if you were buying in the Sun Belt in, in 2012, you probably are pretty smart. Um, the, uh, the, the relative return versus risk um, in, in Sun Belt markets now um, looks pretty obvious, um, but 
at the time there were still questions uh, and I'm going, you know, going back to 2012, there were still questions about like, how is Phoenix going to recover from this massive housing bust that was just a few years ago? Um, but the, uh, as, as we, as we know, the bet worked out. Um, but uh, today though, uh, today, again, we do think that the, there's been a bit of a rationalization in the market. Um, and so you've, you've got very low cap rates in Austin and Charlotte and Raleigh and, and Phoenix. Um, and of course, <laughs> if you were to assume that you can maintain perfect occupancy, they look very attractive in the Midwest. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that is something to, to balance. Um, it's, uh, as I say, the, the market, it's not perfect, right? But it, it should rationalize eventually. And um, to that extent, there may, yeah, there may be opportunity in, in the Midwest um, on a deal by deal basis, of course. Um, but uh, I did, uh, as I mentioned, I, I kind of wanted to circle back around the cap rates and, and where they stand versus the 10 year, you know, and triple Bs, because we've had this, we've had an enormous run up in interest rates um, over the past three months or so. And it's, it's made things a little bit, a little bit touch and go. Um, one, uh, one interesting stat that I think is worth quoting is that for oh, the past two years or so, virtually nothing uh, in terms of cap rates traded below uh, triple Bs. Um, but uh, last quarter in multifamily, about 15% of deals were below triple Bs. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's a meaningful number. That's not at all the highest number that that's ever been, uh, but it, it does tell us that that spread is starting to tighten. Um, and I'm going to cut you off real quick. Can you explain to the listeners, for those that don't understand what triple B's, you know, is? Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just corporate bonds. Uh, so corporate bonds, of course, have different gradings. Triple um, A being the most uh, the most sought out or the least risky, not necessarily most sought after because t- they tend to have the lowest returns. Um, but triple uh, B's are often considered a, a decent uh Allegory for um, for commercial real estate, it, it, it's mostly in terms of office, um, in that your average tenants, your average tenancy credit for an office building might be triple B. You know, hopefully you have double A AA and triple A's in there, but you've probably got even some un you know ungraded um, tenants in there. And so the triple B was kind of uh, typically used as as this as I say, uh, allegory for, for what's going on in, in multifamily, uh, or sorry, in, uh, in commercial real estate. Um, and we, we still use it for multifamily just because it's kind of been adopted as a, you know, not quite industry standard, but it is, it is widely used. Um, anyway, so as the trip, <laughs> so as the triple B, uh, rises along with all interest rates, um, real estate is generally considered riskier than triple Bs and certainly than the 10 year. Um, and so, as those go up, historically, you would expect um, you would expect cap rates to rise as well because if it's a riskier asset, um, then you you should have to pay less for it. Um, but we there is a there is an argument to be made against that right now. Basically, that cap rates can invert against certainly the triple B and even the ten year. Um, and we we based. So um, obviously you have no crystal ball, Andrew, and you know I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. It's the, the million dollar question: like, where do you think you know cap rates are are, are headed? You know, if, if you were to t- take a take a guess. So at a minimum, um, I can say that the spread between cap rates and uh, and the ten year, let's say, let's use that as our benchmark, um, will probably com- will, is going to compress. 
Um, now there is a uh, there is a a case where uh, we actually see that compression go negative, um, you know, in, in a cap rate inversion. So we know that this happened back in the seventies, um, early eighties, when inflation was running rampant, and really the the market didn't believe that the Fed could control inflation. Um, that's essentially what would what would have to happen again is that the not only would we have to have inflation, but the market would have to believe that um, the Fed can't control inflation, um, which would cause uh, which would cause the ten year to spike up quite a lot as people would no longer be willing to buy at two and a half percent with the belief that that was going to be a massive negative real return. Um, and of course, we saw the ten year spike up to close to fourteen percent um, in the uh, in the early eighties. Unimaginable right now, still, but uh, it did happen. Um, now, uh, the thing about the thing about real estate <clears throat> is that as much as we compare cap rates to bond rates, it's not a bond. Um, in that, a bond, of course, returns a, a reliable and, and consistent um, annuity, and uh, real estate has upside. And of course, that upside is rent growth. So, in a in a situation where you see uh, high inflation, you would expect Reasonable, reasonably high rent growth as well, um, and uh, of course we know that that's part of what drives inflation is rent growth, and we've had enormous rent growth over the past uh, over the past year. Um, so that does that does make a case for an inversion, um, where yes, your going in cap rate might indicate a negative real return compared to your inflation expectations, uh, but your expectation of NOI growth. Uh, outpaces that uh, outpaces that um, real loss, and it really complicates underwriting, of course. Um, but it uh, it certainly it's not only theoretically possible, but as I say, we 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 do have evidence that it happened. So, to you know, when someone is underwriting, you know, where where do they think you know that they're underwriting to a version of? You know, let's say in Texas, a a five percent reversion cap. They're buying it at let's say a four. Mm-hmm. You predict in the next and and you know what what I'm reading is that you know it, it might go up a little bit, then it's kind of going to come down. So it's like the short term blip. But you know what are I'm not an expert. You know you you know a lot more you know about this than than I do. <laughs> yeah. So of course um, the uh, the Fed's term. Uh, has been much maligned. Well, transitory, yes. Uh, transitory inflation um, has been much maligned. Uh, to some degree, it's about what you consider transitory. Uh, our our view is still that you know supply chains will become unsnarled, and as the you know the Fed has telegraphed uh, raising rates, um, demand that's going to create a demand cut, um, and so both of those uh, both of those have a downward impact on inflation. Um, and so we, we, we don't really anticipate a prolonged period of inflation, um, at least I will, I will shout out the, uh, the, the folks who don't necessarily follow the um, uh, traditional measures. We don't anticipate CPI uh, having, a, having a prolonged uh, period of, of high inflation. Um, and so uh, that, you know, that would lower uh, rates back down. Um, so in terms of what that means for cap rates, um, yeah, we would anticipate a little bit of upward pressure. Um, but again, just because of the uh, because of the rent growth, the, you know, the equity portion of what real estate is, 
um, we would anticipate that it's it's at a at a minimum, as I say, those those cap rates are going to tighten um, and and become pretty close, uh, and, and we would anticipate that happening um, really more than any sharp upward tick in cap rates. And for you know sponsors out there, uh, investors, do you see a better opportunity? And this is a very general general question, but a better opportunity in Class A, B, or C right now? Yeah, it really depends on what you're uh, what you're looking for. Um, uh, B and C have traditionally had better rent growth. Um, so if you're looking to go in and um, uh, maybe make it, you know, make a few improvements, but really just looking for a uh, looking for kind of a, a, a cash machine, um, such as it is, um, it's it's a it's a pretty good bet. And like I said, you know, the, uh, the returns, uh, do actually tend to, to outperform and I'll actually, uh, I'll speak to garden as well. So, um, we, I'm not sure if you're familiar with NACREF, uh, the national council of real estate, uh, it doesn't matter. NACREF, um, <laughs> uh, they, they have a very good, um, uh, they have a very good return series that goes back a long ways. Um, and, uh, it, it does show that garden has outperformed, um, for a long, long time. And to some degree, I think that's just because it's not cool. Um, the, uh, it tends to be out in the suburbs, it tends to be older, it tends to be low slung. It's not a, it's not a pretty investment. Um, and so I do think that there's some, uh, I do think that there's. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and providing a ton of detail on, uh, on Q1 data and where the market is headed. It's so valuable for, for, for operators and investors. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about um, where they could find out more about you or CoStar? Sure, of course. Uh, CoStar.com, C-O-S-T-A-R. Um, as I say, one of, the, uh, one of the largest providers of commercial real estate data in the world. And uh, a lot of my content does get pushed to our, uh, get pushed to our news feed. Um, so there's, there's a lot of good stuff on the front page. And of course, that data is all in there. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again. Um, I'll be back next week. Uh, with another episode on the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. Thank you so much. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com, and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.